Tuesday, the 21st of June. I'm Randy Kure. This is What's Up the Sports podcast, uh, broadcasting on Facebook Live as well as Apple's ColorCast app. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. As always, thank you so much for the download uh, if you are listening via your favorite podcatcher. If there is one sport that has captured this country's attention over the past couple of years, obviously maybe longer, is certainly soccer. The uh, Men's World Cup uh, will be uh, November in Qatar. Of course, uh, Canada will be participating in that tournament uh, for the first time in 36 years. Uh, women's football in this country has been internationally recognized uh, for uh, many years. Canada's women winning gold, of course, in the Tokyo Olympics. And as well, uh, the creation of semi-pro soccer has uh, definitely evol- evolved. League One Ontario Uh, was founded in 2013, and there are currently 22 clubs with Guelph United winning the League One Cup, the L1 Cup, excuse me, last year. It was the first time uh, the championship uh, was awarded to a first-year side. Uh, It is an absolute thrill uh, to introduce uh, Keith Mason. He is general manager and associate head coach of Guelph United. Keith, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm great, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, uh, it's uh, definitely my pleasure. So uh, beyond uh, uh, what we'll be discussing, we'll be uh, chatting about Keith's thoughts on uh, how soccer has risen uh, for, to such prominence, especially over the last 20 years, uh, what his, his, uh, his staff and his uh, players on his roster experience in a day-to-day sense as well, what uh, he could potentially see in the future but as mentioned uh guelph are defending uh league one champs and i would love to uh start uh keith with how the season is going so far you're 10 matches in of a 21 match uh, season so essentially you're at the halfway point yeah we're at the halfway point and um you know it's it's definitely a much tougher season this year than it was in uh, uh last year during the pandemic and there's a lot of quality teams. Uh, every game is a battle. Uh, every game is is a knife edge, and uh, uh, you know you, you don't show up for, for a thirty minute period and, and you're in trouble. But uh, but it's it's good. We're doing okay. Um, I wouldn't say we're we're pleased where we are. I mean, we we wanted to be in the top two, uh, battling for first place, but currently we're in the last playoff spot, which is sixth place. Um, and ultimately, that's where we want to be, is in the playoffs at the end of the year, uh, as high as we can. And, um, and with the chance to uh, defend our crown and hopefully repeat for, for the first time in the history of League One. But, uh, but we, started off, uh, we started off okay. And the fact we're in six out of 22 teams and we only feel we're doing okay at this point is actually a good sign. We know we haven't peaked yet. We know we haven't hit the ground running as well as we can and uh and and we're we're still expecting that to happen and when it does uh uh expect hopefully we form at the right time towards latter part of the season so uh, you know i'm kind of interested uh you said that uh uh it was uh you know the comparison of uh last year's club and uh, building your roster for that first expansion team uh to uh this year you said it was a uh, more of a challenge. I, I'm kind of interested. I mean, obviously, this is the second season of Guelph United. And uh, if you are able to compare uh, building an expansion roster to uh, now your second season, coincidentally enough, your champions. Sorry, you said that uh, it was uh, more of a challenge for this year. Was that? Uh, yeah, I think I think repeating is definitely always harder than the first win. I mean, the first time being champion is hard to get there, don't get me wrong. But when you're there, I think it's even harder to repeat. 
because uh, you're a target on everybody's back. Like everybody comes to play Guelph United FC. Everybody sees us as, uh, as, as the team to beat or one of the teams to beat. So, so you know, um, everybody rises to the, the occasion. And, and with 22 teams and 21 games, we only play teams one time. There's no double, double headers. You play everybody once. And, and for everybody, you know, uh, Guelph United is like the cup final because they're playing the, the number one uh, team and reigning champions. And they, they really want to uh, do a number on the champions. So, so it's, it is a challenge. It's more difficult. Um, but I, I, think, I think the quality of the, elite, of the league has improved this year as well. So... There's a number of factors that pull us in a position where we are now, but uh, but we're happy, we're we're confident, we're going to get better, and and uh, and we're enjoying our time. And uh, well, one of those factors uh, that uh, must be the case is uh, if uh, players are coming back uh, for that following season, for this second season. Before we uh, started uh, this uh, interview, you had mentioned that you had uh, 12 of your 16. Uh, players return uh, that must have been uh, somewhat uh, comforting uh, like was that a surprise to you in terms of uh, the number of players that did uh, return to the club uh, no not at all I mean uh, uh, we have a lot of good quality players on our roster and and good players want to be with good players and good players want to be on good teams so uh, a number of our players had offers by other League One teams, and but they chose to stay here because they felt they had uh, as good a chance of, of of winning the game by staying home than than going somewhere else. So, so it doesn't surprise me that we were able to keep our players. And in fact, out of the players we've lost, uh, you know, the the four players we lost, the only one of them. Um, really was, you know, um, a, a player that would have seen significant minutes, if you like, you know, so, so, yeah. and, and he, he got drafted into the uh, CPL playing for Halifax. So he's moved up a league. So, so, you know, we're happy for him and, and that's what our, our club's all about. So, so we feel we've actually strengthened our team to the team we had last year, uh, you know, picking up, uh, people like Mar Marcel Zajac, who had a couple of years with uh, Hamilton Forge and their championship winning teams. And uh, Reggie Larea, who's, who's, you know, been very good around the Ontario scene for a few years now. And the brother of, of you know, uh, the Canadian national team player who's currently in uh, Nottingham Forest. So, so we've picked up some, some extra quality into our squad. I just don't think we've quite gelled yet as a squad with the, the new players coming in with the, the uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the team camaraderie just hasn't gelled quite the same yet as what we had last year as a new franchise. Nobody knew who we were. Nobody was gunning for us. It was like, who is this Guelph United, right? So... There's a number of factors that's, that's made it more difficult for us this year, but I'm confident we'll figure it out and, and get stronger as we go along. And uh, I, we're definitely going to touch into that, uh, I guess, the day-to-day -day operation uh, as we get on. But, uh, you know, uh, and I, I don't know if this is an impossible, impossible question to ask, but, uh, like, in terms of preparing for that upcoming season, uh before uh before uh the team even took the pitch last year like how much of uh you know that cohesion from club to club from season to season uh like i can only imagine the uh the final match of the 21 uh like uh the the 21 season of course you won the championship but you'd have to think uh i for one would have to think that uh a management staff uh, for uh, a league such as League One Ontario does have to ha put a lot of emphasis in terms of what this season would, uh, what the uh, following season would look like, how to gel properly, what kind of tools uh, and uh, practices are, are needed 
uh, to have a, a team gel in such a, uh, I guess, a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, again, with the experience we have in terms of the quality of players, um, you know, in Canada, the, one of the challenges we always have is, is facilities, uh, indoor, outdoor training during the winter, you know, and, and to be honest, uh, for us at Guelph United, that wasn't a, a great experience. So from the end of last season in November to when the season started in mid-April, we weren't really able to do a lot and get together because, because uh, we really had a hard time with facilities in our area, both indoor and outdoor. Um, it is something that Guelph is lacking uh, tremendously, is, is good places to train for its um, um, sports teams and particularly its soccer teams. And the, what is available is, is at such demand from, you know, University right. of Guelph, from uh, the, the, the club systems that's been around years who've, who've had the, sort of the pegging order on, on all those uh, available time slots that it's hard for a new franchise to come in and go, well, we need somewhere to train now. And we, have had, we did have a really difficult time with that. And in fact, in April, we, we were tra- having to go to Georgetown to train in all weird hours, whatever we could pick up. <laughs> because <laughs> it was the only way we could prepare for the start of the season. So, so we didn't have a great start in terms of preparation. We didn't have a great start in terms of building what you've just talked about, that carryover, that, that goodwill feeling of the end of last year. And how do you now start to build that infrastructure for the 2022 season? It, it, it was not good. It's one of the things that, that as a club, we're already working on this winter and next year. Uh, and we're, we're jumping on that a lot quicker with working with the city, we're working with the University of Guelph, on trying to make that better so that we have, we have a, a much better year-round development program than perhaps we've had in our first year. It has been difficult for us, but I guess they're, they were learning stepping stones of a f- new franchise where, you know, the season ended and then suddenly you're going, okay, wow, we don't have our own facility. And, you know, we thought we'd just be able to book something and, and, sure. Everybody just closed the door saying, we're full. We have no, no room for new teams. We, we have a repeat customers every year. And we never expected that, to be honest. Um, so it's something we're already working on. So there's been a lot of things that, that really sort of took us off track, if you like, in terms of that, that development and those things you've talked about. I think another distraction, if, if, if you want to call it that, was the Canadian uh, Championship, you know, we were playing Halifax. We were hosting that team, uh, the first League One team to host a CPL team in the Voyager Cup. And, you know, uh, it, it was a huge distraction because it, it took up a lot of our resources, both uh, time-wise, by uh, personnel and financial, to, to pull on that event. So... So and then of course we had a disappointing performance that we that we thought we could have done better, and and so you know there's been a lot of distractions and that's why I, I'm confident as as time goes by we'll find uh, uh, better solutions and and and, uh, and and start gelling a little bit better now that the season's well and truly underway. And uh, as you did mention, the uh, Voyagers Cup, and uh, that was uh, where I got to uh, meet Keith and uh, uh, some uh, friends of mine, uh, one of whom is a mutual friend of both Keith and myself. He actually lives in Guelph, but uh, another friend, who uh, him and I both live outside of the city of Guelph, uh, which is uh, west of Toronto, for those who are not familiar of uh, where exactly Guelph, Ontario is. But uh, him and I, uh, uh, this uh, other friend, uh, we were very uh, keen to uh, watch this uh, match because uh, it was uh, uh, a development match uh, for the Voyagers Cup. I don't know if development is the right word, but it was a a match leading up to uh, crowning a a Canadian champion 
uh, for the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And, uh, you know, you did briefly uh, touch on it, uh, but for a first-year club uh, making uh, the, uh, the, the Canadian Championship, hosting Halifax, uh, what was that experience like for you? The, the experience was incredible. I mean, uh, uh, from everything, from the work of, of my staff, from the work of everybody within the club and the event they pull on. You, you, were, you were there at the game. And, and I think, I, I think the, the off the field uh, professionalism everybody showed was just outstanding. You know, we had a couple of thousand fans in the stands, uh, live national TV, you know, we were competitive. We weren't, you know, Halifax, Halifax was a better team and could have won by more. There's no doubt about that. But, but we were competitive in terms of the result was two nothing and, and two set pieces. And, and the whole experience was, was, was unbelievable when you consider that 12 months earlier, we had never even kicked a soccer ball yet as a team. And, and uh, to be honest with you, it, it, it was sort of like a, uh, a three to five year plan that happened in <laughs> eight months, you know, sure. and, and, and uh, that's hard to, that's hard to put together, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I, I think we came through with flying colors and I, I think we re represented our league uh, very well. I think uh, league one Ontario and, and everybody at Guelph can be very proud of, of what they did that day. And, it was a wonderful experience for us all. And uh, you mentioned it was a two-one, uh, two-nil result. Uh, unfortunately, uh, however, it was played to close to two thousand fans, and it was actually during uh, the same e evening as a uh, Toronto Maple Leafs playoff game. And uh, of course, sports fan, a fan cynical like me, uh, uh, forget about that uh, club uh, that play uh, hockey. Apparently, the the Leafs. But uh, I mean, uh, with regards to um, the competing uh, other uh, sporting events that have taken place. I mean, hey, uh, the Leafs obviously are, are still the Leafs. Uh, as uh, you were preparing for this match, realizing you were going against the Leaf game, uh, was that a concern uh, to uh, to you and the club in terms of like uh, 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 fan support? Would uh, fans uh, come to the match? Yeah, it is. Uh... You know, we're we're not um, living in a in a dream world where we 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 don't realize that the pegging order of of sports in in Canada is clearly as uh, uh, hockey as number one, and uh, in this area in Ontario, that's Toronto Maple Leafs is is everybody's you know or the majority of people's uh, first passion. So so. You know, it was unfortunate the the two events fell on the same day. I I think we could have filled that place without the least playing. To be honest with you, I really do. Mm. But it it was a key game for the Leafs. Like that that was a huge game. I uh, I think the Leafs were up three two at the time or something like that. And it it, it was it, it could be decided right there and then. And and the fact we still drew, drew such a good crowd. Uh, is a testament to the, the growing sport of, of soccer in Canada. Yeah, no, I, truthfully, I couldn't, like, I do remember uh, as we met uh, post-match at uh, a tavern uh, uh, right by, uh, right by uh, alumni uh, field there, I uh, couldn't even remember what the score was, but I, yeah, I vaguely remember that the Leafs won. However, uh, no, I mean, uh, that experience and that vibe and that atmosphere was just, uh, uh, you know, uh, such a such a treat, and uh, must have been a real, um, you know, joy for you to uh, to see that. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I guess uh, you know uh, to to continue here. Uh, you had mentioned uh, when uh, during that evening uh, that you uh, came to Canada. Correct me if I'm wrong. In 1981, uh, and uh, that you have been in uh, soccer. Uh, pretty much uh, all your life. Uh, for me personally, uh, you know, I'm in my early 40s uh, and uh, I really didn't get into soccer much until World Cup 94 and, uh, you know, started to get more of an appetite for uh, Euro and uh, my wife uh, growing up with soccer started to really get into it 
uh, you know, uh, with her and uh, especially with the, the uh, with Toronto FC um, uh, starting in 2007. Uh, for in your experience, obviously uh, coming from Europe and uh, you know seeing Canada soccer in the early 80s, like when did you start seeing a rise? Uh, I guess as uh, you know, with uh, participation and viewership and uh, just uh, the interest just uh, evolving to what it is now. Yeah, I, th I for me there was two two major uh, earthquake moments, uh, if you want to call it that, for for soccer in Canada in terms of spectators, uh, two or three. And uh, my first decade in Canada, soccer was nothing. Even to watch a World Cup game, I'd have to go to a bar somewhere uh, to 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 watch any games. You you couldn't get it on TV. You could get the occasional FA Cup game uh, once a year, and that was about it. And uh, even when Canada qualified in 86, I remember it well, watching that game in Newfoundland. Uh, mm. And a good friend of mine, Randy Reagan, plays on that team, uh, or played on that team. Um, and, and Bruce Wilson and a bunch of those guys I know. But um, it... It, it was quite an achievement, but it got, you know, it got a little buzz and then it was over again. You know, um, it, it didn't have the knock-on effect that maybe right. we thought it would have. But, but in 1993, the, so, something happened outside our country that I think made a huge difference. And that was the Premier League was formed in the United Kingdom. And suddenly the Premier League became a international phenomenon not just not just division one in england which it used to be called suddenly the whole world was interested in this premier league and they were selling the tv rights all over the world and when it first happened uh i used to i used to uh, there used to be a company you could pay to bring it in and i used to bring it in and and have it in a bar and people would come and pay you know, ten dollars to watch the game, and okay. and, and uh, we used to fill the place out. And it wasn't to make money; all the money would just cover the cost to bring the game in. And uh, and and that's what we used to do, you know. And um, when we started, then that started growing till it became huge on Canadian TV. Uh, you know, the, the sports networks here in Canada took it on. And every Saturday morning, you could watch the Premier League. And then suddenly people were talking about soccer other than World Cups, other than... So for me, that was a major moment, that Premier League moment, where, where now you've got people watching the game. And, and until then, their only exposure was the North American Soccer League and, and some leagues that weren't quite the same level, you know? And now suddenly you've got the best leagues in, in the world right here on our own couches watching the watching the sport and and i think that was a major moment uh, the next one was the 94 world cup when mm. the us came in and the mls was born and and you know the mls was great for north america even though it was slow at the beginning it was great for north america and um and for canada specifically the toronto fc coming in so when Toronto FC came into to the picture of MLS, it really, really took off. Uh, I, I got season tickets and I've been a season ticket holder since day one because mm. uh, I want to support my sports, right? But, but all of a sudden, <coughs> people have somewhere to go and someone to cheer for. And the atmosphere from day one, I can remember that first game was electric, you know. And, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it took... Uh the third match for Dicchio to score yep. that first career, uh, that first ever goal, right? Yeah, and I, I believe it was the 23rd minute, if I That's remember right, yeah. or something like that. And it was our first ever goal. And, and you know, I was there to witness that, and that was great. And, and, and all those moments, they were huge for soccer. They were huge because now suddenly, before that, soccer was always large in terms of participation sport. People... A lot of people played soccer recreationally or, or, or for rep teams. But, 
but now it became a spectator sport for the first time, really, in North America for me. And that was a change in landscape, those, those couple of huge moments. Yeah, well, I, I, I do have to say, like, I do remember uh, when the expansion team uh, was announced and I was like, okay, soccer, like, I only uh, knew it, especially those days, as a very high level. Yeah, I remember the Toronto Blizzard and the Toronto Lynx. I, like, I, I didn't really know uh, anything about the leagues at all, but, uh, the you know, those clubs came and went and never really uh, thought that Toronto FC uh, would have that kind of uh, clout. And that first season, as you mentioned, it was just such – the, the buzz and uh, the response and the reviews was that this is an experience that uh, the Leafs never really had. And, uh, you know, uh, the Raptors were, uh, you know, fledgling and uh, especially during those times that uh, the, the Blue Jays, I mean, the, you know, the World Series clubs was like 15 years prior. Uh, so it sounded like, though, it wasn't a surprise to you that TFC took off the way that it did. No, it wasn't a surprise at all because I, I, I still believe that the major earthquake was that the, the, the global phenomenon of the Premier League and, and the, the, the major leagues from around Europe coming in, into the households of North America. And, and by the time TFC had come, a lot of people, younger people, were now, they already knew the stars of the day, you know, uh, they already knew the, the, the big stars of world football and, right. and they were desperate for something to come local. And when TFC come, people just were already enjoying the, uh, the, the watching of the game of football. And, 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 and uh, I, I think it was just a, a fantastic follow-up and a natural follow-up that TFC came just at the right time because we needed it right here in Canada our own team to cheer for right and and um but but i i i really i i i remember and and you know don't quote me on the numbers but i used to sure. read that on saturday morning the top games in the premier league at the time was as many people was watching those as the blue jays because the blue jays at the time weren't doing very good and you know and you were getting over a million people watching a soccer game on tv from the uk where You'd never had numbers like that in 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 soccer in Canada, and, and so so it had it had already been bubbling and it's already been growing because of the TV exposure of the rest of the world, and then TFC just blew it out out of this world, and 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 uh, uh, in terms of a, a spectator sport in Canada, and and they still do now. I mean, I mean the the, the TFC have had a real good loyal. Uh, fan base for many years through very good times and and you know they've been very much a seesaw club since I've been there very good or uh, struggling to make playoffs they're very rarely in between you know and and uh, uh, the fans have stayed pretty loyal to them and it's great to see yeah no absolutely and uh, one thing that I really just admired was the sea of red with uh, uh, a majority of people were wearing Toronto FC branded gear but uh uh, also, uh, but if they weren't able to afford it, they would wear a red T-shirt or whatever the case is. And it just really, uh, uh, really did take off. You know, uh, with regards to the uh, women's game, uh, Keith, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. And uh, as mentioned, and obviously the evidence is clear that uh, Canada's uh, uh, women's program has uh, reached international levels for uh, well over a decade. Um where did you think uh, that started? You know, if I think about uh, Canada soccer, like I am going to think of Sinclair and Matheson first before, with respect to the uh, global phenomenon that is Alfonso Davies. Uh, you know, when I think of Canada soccer, I, I am thinking Sinclair first. And uh, Canada has always had a, a threat uh, to uh, medal, especially when it comes to um, um Olympics, World Cup, and so on. In terms of the women's game specifically, you know, how do you think, uh, why do you think uh, women's soccer have had so much more success? Uh, I, I think there's a couple of factors for me. Um, and, and and I used to, when I first started coaching in Canada, by the way, I, I coach women. So, mm. so I spent uh, the 1980s and most of the 1990s 
coaching women and uh, from my first time arriving in Canada. And, and I moved over to the men's side of coaching in 2000. And um, so, so when, when, when uh, the, the sport would continue to grow on the female side, you know, I saw a lot of that growth um, in, in, in numerous capacities. But part of the reason at the beginning was the rest of the world um, uh, didn't take the female side of the sport as seriously, anywhere near as seriously as they did on the men's side or anywhere to the levels they do now. And, and you know, but in North America, uh, the females brought into soccer way earlier than most, most the rest of the world, other than, you know, um, uh, the Asian countries too. China was really strong. Uh, Japan, like the Asian countries were strong and North America was strong. Uh, but Europe were fairly weak. Uh, South America were non-existent. And, and in the early days, it was a sport, other than the Scandinavian countries, who, you know, Sweden, Norway, had very strong teams as well. It was only really those, the Scandinavians were the only ones in Europe that, that, that really had any strong female programs. Right. Uh, so, so you could count, to be honest, on two hands, the, 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 the tough games, you know, that Canada was going to be facing. And, uh, and uh, we actually brought over uh, Evan Pellerud many, many years ago. I'm talking uh, early 90s now. Um, when when he, he came over from, I believe it was Norway, he, uh, he took Norway to a, a World Cup and then he came over to coach in Canada. And, you know, they played a very direct style. Um, uh, it was all on, on get the ball down to the other end quickly, uh, bully defenders, make things happen around the box, you know, and... and uh, and we had good, good athletes. Canada had really good female athletes, and, and they did that. They bullied a, a lot of the teams. And then over time, the other countries started bringing in their female programs and started growing into the sport to the point now, it's, it's unbelievable the difference in 20, it's coming 20 years, where now you've got the Champions League live on TV on, on mm. the zone, you know, it, it's unbelievable. I can, I can watch Premier League games from England of the women's teams now, as well as the men. So, so it's, it's come in leaps and bounds, but we've always been able to stay powerful. We've all, always been able to stay uh, in the top echelon of the sport on the female side, because we, we have good athletes. We've had good coaches. Um, over the years, and uh, and we were one of the leading ones coming into the sport when women's soccer first got uh, popular, and we've we've been able to stay there. So it's great to see. Um, it's harder every year, and that's why when we win the gold, as recently we have, that's even more incredible than anything we've ever done because it's actually harder now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Yet yet we still did it. So that's a credit to everybody involved, a credit to the, the, the women's programs and, uh, and, and what, and what uh, the CSA have done. Um, one of the things the CSA always did well, I thought, and, you know, I'm, I wasn't on the inside, but from what, what I remember was, you know, when, when they put the top women's players together, they almost made them like a professional team. They, they lived together, they trained together, they played a lot more games than the men's teams ever played, and 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 they were they were they were like a team rather than hey, you have it on the men's side where you know they played for the club team and then they have the international breaks to come play for the national team. Well, at the women's level, because there was no club clubs at the INF level at that time, uh, both the US and Canada basically made their national team like a club team and they just played lots of games and, and, and they trained together and lived together and, and they tried to put them in a, in their national training centers, you know, and, and, and really worked uh, well on them that way so that they had a chance to develop 
as a at, at that level as a as a team um, and as individuals. So so it's good to see, and um, I'm really a big fan of, ever, of of our current national coach John Ehrman. I think he's done a, a magnificent job with the men, but let's not forget he he did that for many many years with the women, and and. You know, we so I th I had felt we'd started to stagnate on the women's side a bit, to be honest. Hmm, before really? John, okay. Before John, we were still good. Oh, before he left. Okay, excuse me. Before he came. Before he came right. on, uh, I thought we were starting to stagnate as a nation on the women's side where we other teams were starting to overtake us that we used to be better than. And then John Ehrman came and suddenly we went up and up and up a couple of notches again and he, he brought us back to life and uh and and made us one of the, the the world powers that we are on the female game and it's fantastic to see i mean let's be honest if it wasn't for the female game over the last 30 40 years soccer would have had known that not much of it at the national level wouldn't have had much of a name in canada at all it's really been the female side of the game that's carried the sport in, in Canada for a long, long time. And, and, and uh, it's nice to see now that the men are starting to, to uh, showcase themselves a little bit too on, on the, the world stage. Well, you have to wonder if the women's team is uh, partly responsible for the men's, uh, the, for the success of the men's program. Uh, uh, Christine Sinclair is the most uh, celebrated and the most uh, has scored the most goals for, uh, her country uh, in both men's and women's uh, uh, football. You think of uh, all the, uh, like, I mean, you think of the Megan Rapinos, you think of the, uh, the Martas, I mean, outside of the country, of course, but uh, that has to be a sense of inspiration, of course, for, for women and uh, young girls, that goes without saying, but in terms of the men's program itself, to have somebody like Sinclair uh, has to be massive for the sport for both uh, women and men. Yeah, and and you know what? There's a lot of cross pollination that goes on within sure. all sorts of sports too, right? Like, like you know. Um, so when when we watch the Canadian women win win the the uh, Olympics, then of course it's going to have an uh, an effect on on the men's team and 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 inspire them to do better as well as it will other sports in that that's where you get that cross-pollination and and you know where where it just makes everybody feel good it makes a nation feel good it makes everybody fall in love for that time um with that team and 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 want to go and emulate what they've just achieved and and you know i think i think that happens in, in many walks of life and, and uh, for us to win the bronze and then follow it up with the gold uh, was, uh, was something I'll never forget. It was just absolutely amazing and inspiring. So I can't see how it would not inspire the men's side. And, uh, and, and again, I think the, the men were a team in the wilderness who, who needed new direction. And, and, and I think it's a sit to me, I see a similar parallels to, to the women. And, and I know I'm giving, you know, I'm back on the John Herdman train here, but, but you know, uh, since, uh, ever, since we had uh, won the Gold Cup. Um, in 2000, you know, in, yeah. In 2000, uh, we had sort of stagnated and gone backwards from that moment. That could have been a catapult forward and actually went the other way. And, and with MLS growing, you would you would have thought it would have been a catapult forward, but but we sort of stagnated, just like I, I talked about the women had, and and now all of a sudden, uh, John Ehrman comes in, he's he's got a good pool of, of young players who I believe, and I I don't know, I don't I haven't talked to these players directly, so I I I can't speak for them, but I believe have grown up being able to watch Bayern Munich play, Manchester United play, Chelsea play, you know, Barcelona play, Real Madrid play, all these teams play and 
and be inspired by those as well as the Canadian women's team and, and, and grow up in better environments. So suddenly we've got a better crop of young players that's now playing all over the world, you know, and uh, that's training every day. They're in the professional environment, which they didn't have 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there wasn't the environment that we have now across North America for professional sports within whether it's the League One, whether it's USL, whether it's uh, MLS or more players we have playing in Europe and the rest of the world. It's, it's night and day to what it was 20 years ago. So, so now it's that perfect storm, right? It's all come together that we've got the right coach with the right time, with a good crop of, of young players who are playing in big leagues around the world. Uh, and they've got the leg up from the North American leagues. And it's just created this perfect storm, which is now going to Qatar in, uh, in, in November. I am joined by uh, Keith Mason, uh, associate head coach and general manager of Guelph United. And, you know, Keith, I'd love to uh, bring it back to uh, to your club. And, uh, you know, it, it really is such uh, uh, an inspiration to see uh, development leagues. I mean, uh, beyond soccer, uh, you think of the Canadian Elite Basketball League and uh, there's a sacrifice that uh, players go through. And, of course, uh, staff and as well, but uh, not every athlete uh, is able to uh, survive on just playing sports. And uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, leagues, uh, whether it be a second division or a semi-pro League One Ontario, uh, that uh, the amount of uh, training and everything that goes else goes on for a player outside of uh outside of the pitch and outside of training is just something that really uh is uh is recognized by uh a lot of sports fans myself uh, especially included you know I, i'd love to learn uh what a a day-to-day is like for uh players uh obviously specifically to guelph united like yeah with regards to uh training and how to support themselves uh can you uh, sort of uh, uh, shed some light on what uh, your uh, your club goes through? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, League One Ontario is is a semi professional based uh, league. Um, for a lot of teams in our league, I'll start with the league if that's okay. Of course. That, for a lot of the teams in our league, that semi professional or the professionalism is is the organization and how they run the club not so much in, in, in p- players getting paid. You know, some players might get accommodation. Some players might get some money on top of that. Some players get nothing. Uh, some, teams, some teams don't give anything at all. Their players uh, just uh, uh, want to play in that league as, as that next development phase for them in their careers, right? And, mm. and, 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 and uh, League One is a real mix. And, and, and Guelph United is no different. We have... We have some players who, who get some money, get some accommodation and, and looked after that way. Uh, we don't have anybody who's, uh, this is their job. Everybody has another job that they have to go to. Everybody's living nine to five in the real world and then uh, making a bit of money on the side to, uh, to uh, play the sport they love and, and use this as a stepping stone or, or, a step down as they finish the career, which way, whichever way it may be. But, you know, um, it, sometimes, in a way, if you think of a semi-professional environment, it's actually more difficult than a professional environment because uh-huh. a professional environment, they, they show up and, you know, they got the training, they, they got to go in the gym, they, they get the massages, they get, they get looked after on, on the medical side, you know, they get their team meetings, their, their video sessions, they get all these things and, um, and then they go home, you know, and, 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 and uh, get a bit of R&R. Uh, we have guys working construction from five in the morning till 6 p.m. at night and then show up for 8.30 practice after they've been doing construction all day 
or an 8.30 game after they've been doing construction all day. And then, and then they got to try and perform and they got to try and perform at their, their highest level. And it's demanded of them from the coaches, of the teammates, of the fans. And, uh, and people forget sometimes that, you know, they may have had a tough day in 90 degree week, uh, heat, sure. working on top of a roof, pulling, uh, pulling shingles on, you know, and, 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 and that's the difference of the environment we're in. And, and, uh, and kudos to, you know, I, I spent many years in the environment with uh, universities and student athletes and, and seeing a student athlete who puts in, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week on the sport on top of the 30, 40 hours a week they got to pull into this academics and, and realize what kind of amazing people that makes. And, uh, and League One sort of the same idea, you know, because uh, there's a lot of excellent uh, players in this league, uh, but their commitment to the sport goes beyond the no normal realm because they're rushing from all over the place, having long days where I'm sure some days they'd like to just go and get in a hot tub, uh, crack a cool one and say, <laughs> I'm done for the day. But they can't do that. They've got to come and... Uh, They've got to come and perform, and 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 uh, you know, like I, I, we have training at nine o'clock tonight, uh, for example. You know, and and uh, it's a bit cooler at that time, which is great, but also it gives people time to get on, have something to eat, and uh, chill for a little bit before they come to training from nine till eleven, and then go home. And some some people are getting home at twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, and. Uh, you're back at work at eight o'clock the next morning because they have a full-time job to tend to. So, so it's a tough life, um, but it's a rewarding life. And, and uh, anytime you're involved in a team sport of any kind, the, I think the rewards always uh, outweigh the, the negatives and that's why we do them. Yeah, no, I, I, the, uh, the sacrifices, as you uh, mentioned and uh, having a general sense, uh, but uh, obviously uh yeah they are uh, still pursuing that dream and yeah. uh you know you had mentioned that uh, one of your players uh, uh 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 was transferred to uh the canadian premier league into halifax and uh, that progression uh to uh perhaps uh, getting into uh, other uh, leagues whether it even be overseas uh, obviously that uh would be uh, great to see uh more and more uh, players out of uh, out of this country so uh, well that's right well we see uh, to be honest with you like old players Colin Gander and he's 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 played a lot of minutes this year for Halifax which is fantastic to see and uh, and he's doing really well out there and and I actually spoke to him for an hour today actually he gave, he gave me a call and we had a little chat today but he's doing really well out there he's enjoying it the experience is phenomenal for him he's living his dream you know and um and, you know, to have that stepping stone in the pyramid of play in Canada is critical. And kudos to, uh, you know, to Dino and League One for, for putting this league together and, and, and making it that, that place where dreams can become reality. Because we have League One, ex-League One players who are probably going to be on the boat to uh, Qatar this year. And they started the career in League One. And... And they're now playing MLS or other leagues. And, um, and you know, looks like they're going to be performing. Uh, I don't know because you don't know if an injury comes in or, or if someone else gets selected. But it looks like they'll be performing at the World Cup stage. And three, four years ago, you know, a couple of those guys were playing League One Ontario. And, 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 and that's just uh, 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 shows you what quality we have in, in, in the pyramid of playing Canada right now. And, and that, that to me was, once MLS come in, we talked about the big bang theory and, sure. and, and games being on TV and then MLS with the Toronto FC. But now having those feeder teams is even more important right now, because how do you jump from university or, or youth club soccer to MLS? You can't do that. So you got to bridge that gap, which originally we didn't have that gap bridge. But then, lo and behold, League One Ontario comes, CPL comes, 
and now that gap gets bridged, right? So players can go from youth, League One Ontario, CPL, MLS, Europe. Now you've got a true pyramid of play. And I, I think it's just uh, uh, a phenomenon. I didn't know if I'd ever see in Canada. And, and it's a pleasure to be living it and being part of it, to be honest with you. Oh, no, absolutely. And I mean, the the, uh, the kind of possibilities that uh, and the exposure that uh, League One and uh, CPL can get uh, to have uh, uh, internationally uh, uh, known players and uh, players playing for their national sides for for even the World Cup. I mean, just uh, just, uh, you know, uh, shows the kind of uh, skill level uh, these leagues uh, certainly have. Uh, you know, Keith, I, I, I'd be... Yeah, um, sorry, my, my last point on that, if I, if I may, is, you know, uh, there's a League One equivalent in Quebec. Yes. Uh, and, and now there's a League One um, equivalent first year 2022 in BC, and they're playing their first uh, se season this year. And between the three of them, they've created League One Canada now. And so the next phase from that uh, will be other provinces joining on. And, and before you know it, we're going to have, you know, uh, uh, a second tier of semi-professional sport right across the country, which is going to be great for the game. And uh, that and the possibility of more expansion clubs uh, within Canadian Premier League uh, as well. Uh, Saskatoon uh, is being rumored to uh, have one. That would be the first club uh, within uh, the province of Saskatchewan. And mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, with uh, the growth of League One uh, to the point where uh, having a, perhaps a uh, uh, that uh, kind of tournament where uh, champion of Ontario could play champion of Manitoba, for example, if uh, that league comes to fruition, uh, just uh, be uh, really, uh, really incredible to see, especially and uh, only but positives for uh, the game. Uh, you know, uh, Keith, you did mention and you did touch on uh, the national, uh, like the World Cup and um, its relevance with regards to, to League One. And uh, of course, the uh, the men's national team uh, did go through uh, a very trying time uh, with regards to uh, uh, the Canada soccer. Uh, there was a pay dispute with regards to how money was going to be distributed with uh, regards to uh, uh, and, uh, qualifying for World Cup. Um, I, I'd really love to uh, get an idea of, uh, I guess, in terms of uh, Canada soccer, uh, what their position was, because uh, I could, uh, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, League One Ontario was uh, thought about with regards to Canada soccer as this dispute took place. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to uh, really comment on, on that because I don't know really enough about it, to be honest with you. So, so if I was commenting on that, I would be... I'd be more guessing uh, than, than actually knowing. Uh, but the one thing I will say is it is a shame because, because you know, all we're getting is the wrong headlines at a time when we have great momentum going forward. So when right. I think of it as, a, if I put my coach's hat on, which I've got on here, <laughs> if I put my coach's hat on and my GM hat on, it's all about growing that momentum and that goodwill feeling of what we had, not for our, our men's national team and, and the performance they'd just done coming out of qualifying, going into, uh, into Qatar. So you want to build on that momentum, you know, going into the games. And, and for me, uh, it's just a shame to see that, that the, the, the talk now is not so much Right now, the main talk's not about the right things. It's not about the game and and what can we do there and and can we pull off that surprise? Can we get that first ever goal for a men's team at a World Cup? Mm. Can we? All those things is what the excitement should be about. And 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 instead, it's it's brought a negative and and and. and and any coach will tell you, uh, and I'm sure John Erdman's, you know, just cringing because the last thing you need 
in anything is is negatives and disruptions as you build something in your plan and you know and and he's getting that right now he's affected he's affected his his, his most recent international break games had to get cancelled and right. and all stuff that sh- that we don't want happening as we prepare for a major tournament so so really for me that's that's the comment on on that particular issue that i find sad I, and i find it uh, uh too bad that it's come to this point and and I just hope they can get it all sorted out and get focused on what we need to refocus on, which is the things I talked about, the excitement of building towards that first game. Can we score the goal? Can we do something we've never done and, uh, uh, on the men's side? And, uh, you know, f- funny enough, uh, just, a, just, just a, a quick side note, the first ever World Cup goal scored by Canada, male or female, was from someone from Guelph. I don't know if you did that, if you know that, but that is a piece of trivia for you. I, uh, sorry, I, I, this is, uh, f- who were who you, would you be referring to? Helen Stumbus. Helen Stumbus was the first ever male or female Canadian national team to score a goal at the, uh, at a World Cup finals. And, and that I'm, was in 1995. Uh, and uh, I believe it was against England, if I remember right. And it was from a corner. I, even, I, can, I can remember. She scored directly from a corner. And that was the first ever goal scored at a World Cup finals uh, by a male or female team in Canada. So there, there's some trivia you can... No, uh, that's... Uh, no, well done. Use. And uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, but I mean, you think of... Uh, I mean, in 1995, obviously, it was the uh, tournament before... Uh, the infamous uh, Brandy Chastain penalty and uh, USA 99. Uh, and, uh, uh, but I mean, you think about the first and uh, uh, the one first that I can recall very vividly was Canada's first gold medal in the Olympics, which was uh, Alex Bilodeau and uh, that uh, gold medal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, uh, the World Cup of uh, the Women's World Cup, obviously, uh, didn't have uh, the scale that it does now uh, from 1995, uh, but uh, Canada's representation uh, when hosting the World Cup in 15 was uh, was uh, some to be something uh, of, uh, to be quite proud of, and the mm. fact that uh, the city of Guelph has uh, the first ever uh, goal scorer of uh, an international uh, uh, well of a, of a World Cup uh, that's uh, definitely something to be proud of for sure. That that that's incredible and. Uh... I've known Helen a long time. I used to coach her in the '80s, so so it, it's something uh, something I know, and and uh, and uh, uh, she's an incredible lady. I, I was talking to her a couple of weeks ago, but but yeah, she she's uh, she's uh, she did wonders for the sport in the early days, but but at the end of the day, getting back to the original point, those are the things we should be thinking of now, like you know on the men's side and with our men's national team, they're the things we've got to try and get back focused on and, and try to get, uh, try, try to, because you know what, it, it's not, in, it's a tough group. Canada's in a tough group and, uh, and there's, there's not going to be a, an easy performance there. And, and when you go into big games, you cannot afford to let, Anything be sidetracking you. You got to be. You got to be focused, right? And 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 if the focus is not in the right place, it's hard to perform at the top level. And uh, so we need to get our players and and CSA and and you know, my my best description of it all would be, you'd love to get them all in a room and bang their heads together and go, okay, sure. let's go now. You know, because because we need to get back focused on what we need to do. For the sport of soccer and, and the growth of soccer and and uh, and you know I it's this I'm not saying this inside because I don't I don't know all the ins and outs and and uh, and what's going on but but I just hope they can sort it out so we can focus on the right things. Yeah. Uh, no. Absolutely. Uh, just for the betterment of the game and. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And uh, well, finally, Keith, as uh, as I. We uh, do wrap up here once again. I just want to thank you so much for for joining me today. I, I'd be uh, I'd love to learn uh, what your thoughts would be 
uh, in terms of enhancing the profile of League One and, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the match that I saw in Guelph, there definitely seems to be an appetite for uh, soccer to uh, have uh, such a, uh, a, a raucous crowd, uh, in my opinion, uh, with uh, Ed, that was during uh, the uh, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs playoff match. Uh, uh, what do you think uh, the league and uh, Guelph United, what do you think it needs to happen uh, for uh, Guelph and uh, for League One on, uh, in a general sense to, uh, to enhance uh, what they have uh, currently? Well, first of all, I think, I think we need to continue doing what we're doing. I think we've got to uh, professionalize. And when I say professionalize, I'm talking the semi-pro ranks. I'm not talking about CPL. But I think we've got to professionalize more of our teams. We've got to get, we've got, get, got, to get more teams that, that uh, take it the same level as the top teams in terms of the infrastructure they build, the, the players they recruit and how they look at their League One programs. We need to get everybody um, buying into that. And, um, but also we need to be patient that we, uh, we have to understand that it's, Rome wasn't built in a day as the old saying goes. And, and we're, going, we're definitely going in the right direction. And, uh, and League One introduced um, earlier this year their, their plan for 2024, which is, which is now public uh, knowledge that, that the, they've got the 22 teams. And in 2022, 2023, they're, gonna, they're going to um, um, accumulate uh, your points tally and then break it off into two divisions. And then they're going to have a, a division one, a division two, division three. They're going to actually create a third division with expansion teams and reserve teams and that they're going to have promotion and relegation between right. those divisions. And, and I, I think that's a fantastic uh, step for League One to take because then, then all the teams that, that like, like Guelph United, you know, like the old Club Blue Devils and Vaughan and, and, and the top teams who really pull a lot into their League One programs, you know, you, you will have, you'll have teams of the same like Who's, who's really treating it on a professional way uh, that's all playing against each other then, you, then you'll have teams who'll be able to come in at the bottom end and build to get to that point and then the pyramid just grows right and now you've got a pyramid growing from the lower levels to the higher levels so, so, so for me I think, uh, I think they go, they're going about it the right way and uh, I think we're making progress now it's just a matter of, of you know that patience to watch it let it grow let it grow but but we definitely need to get everybody building on 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 the growth of what's going on and uh well and uh you know uh definitely with uh with programs such as uh league one uh, uh it obviously uh not only uh the possibilities of what this could mean for uh, the sport uh, in our country uh, goes without saying, but there is opportunities for uh, skilled players to actually have a chance and uh, learn the game and develop uh, uh, something uh, that could be extremely special. And uh, certainly wasn't the case. Uh, That's right. Uh, and now, now we're going to have somewhere in the pyramid for everybody, whether you're an old guy like me who still wants to play <laughs> and go kick a ball out, or whether you want to be part of that professional pyramid to get still have the dreams of one day playing in the Premier League. We have somewhere, or whether you just want to go and play with, with a, a fun night out, that pyramid is growing in Canada, and that's wonderful for the sport. And it's wonderful for the city of Guelph as well uh, to be a part of uh, uh, League One and to have a club that they could call uh, their own. Of course, they have the storm, but uh, uh, definitely uh, with uh, soccer being what it is, uh, uh, Guelph United definitely has uh, uh, a real opportunity uh, to do some really great things. Uh, Keith uh, Mason is the associate head coach and general manager of Guelph United. He does have a training session to attend to. Uh, yeah, uh, I'd love to uh, uh, quickly get you to say where uh, people can learn more about Guelph United, where they could get tickets. Yeah, you go to guelphunitedfc.ca uh, is our website. And um, if you go there, you can see everything about us. And 
and we're available on Twitter on all the usual social medias as well. Um, hashtag Guelph United FC and uh, you'll be able to find us. Their next match is uh, 24th. Uh, so in a couple of days against uh, St. Catherine's Aroma in St. Catherine's. So uh, Keith, once again, uh, the pleasure has been all mine. Uh, congratulations on uh, uh, everything that's been accomplished and uh, really do uh, really do hope uh, the very best for you and your club uh, defending uh, the L1 Cup. So uh, Keith, uh, for joining me and for the rest of the uh, season and beyond, uh, thank you so much and my uh, best of luck to you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. He is Keith Mason. Uh, Keith Mason, thank you so much. Uh, Associate head coach and general manager of Guelph United from League One Ontario. I am Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports podcast. Uh, catch us on at What's Up podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk to you next time.